I spent the last three years learning from some of the most ingenious mergers and acquisition specialists around. And now I've decided to take the leap into buying businesses. The real questions are how will I do it? How much of the behind the scenes can we really show? And how can business owners like you maximize their purchase price and build generational wealth? This show is going to give you the answers. Join me and follow along as I share mine and other stories as we buy, sell, or merge healthcare businesses and physical therapy practices. I'm Dave Kittle, and this is The Dave Kittle Show. Hey, welcome back to The Dave Kittle Show. I'm Dave Kittle, the owner of Concierge Pain Relief Home Physical Therapy in New York City and the CEO of the Fieldmaker Group. We're currently acquiring practices in the New York and New Jersey area. And today we have the CEO of a 110 outpatient physical therapy practice location. We're going to talk about many things. We're going to talk about partnerships, culture fit, the differences between large or medium-sized national physical therapy companies, and much, much more. Today, we have Richard Lieber, the CEO of Alliance Physical Therapy Partners on the show. We're going to get into all that, his background, and more of what Alliance is doing. But before we do that, Richard, good afternoon. What's going on? Thank you so much for inviting me to uh, your podcast. I'm excited to be here and share what little knowledge perhaps I have with your uh, your listeners. So thank you. Excellent. So the audience may or may not know you and your background and Alliance and all that. Some listeners of Agile and Me, your podcast, probably are, are going to be well familiar with uh, with your accent. But that, that's the first thing, which is, so you're a physical therapist, you're a physio by trade, you're now the the chief executive officer of a, a fairly large scale practice and company, Alliance Physical Therapy Partners. So before we go into talking about partnerships and the differences and culture, fit and morale, all the types of things that you guys are are evaluating and assessing when looking for physical therapy practice owners in regards to partnerships. Before we get into that, what is a little bit more of your background? Like you obviously, it doesn't sound like you're from the US. So give us a little bit of background, a little bit of a bio and kind of fast forward between then and uh, and how you got to Alliance. Absolutely. So yes, you can tell that I'm from a little island that still uh, thinks it uh, has an empire across the water. <laughs> uh, in England so a little over 30 years ago now, so I kind of got the grey hair and the war wounds from treating patients uh, over my career. Spent the first 10 years treating in England. I've been outpatient-based my entire career. Worked in every conceivable healthcare environment imaginable, from high-security prisons, public healthcare, magnet status hostels, physician-owned practices, you name it, I've done it. Kenzie certified, Syriac certified, et cetera, Maitland trained. Fast forward, spent about the last eight, nine years in private equity back PT space, worked for physiotherapy associates in the past, worked for an entity in Illinois, Northwest Indiana, that was acquired by ATI, headed up the growth for ATI onto the West Coast, primarily Washington State. And then for about the last five years, been with Alliance started as their operating officer and moved to the CEO role. First week of COVID, actually. So that was an initiation of fire as the chief executive officer of Alliance. And what attracted me to Alliance was this concept of partnership, uh, the idea of instead of having a kind of a, a top-down approach towards leadership and management of outpatient therapy is really a true partnership and working with the local entities and brands to be able to really support them and maintain their culture. Very interesting. What was the year that you came to the U.S.? Uh, 
2002, actually. So yeah. Okay. So about 20 years, not not that long ago not in the yeah. grand scheme of things. I don't think I'm going to use my accent anytime. <laughs> no, no, that's ingrained. Okay. So you've worked, you've treated in a lot of different settings, and then you had a managerial operations type role in additionally different scopes in regards to different roles and responsibilities and, and different different roles there. So then you were with ATI and a few others, found yourself now with Alliance. So what is, I mean, we're going to get into, you know, the, the culture fit and partnerships. What would be maybe an initial kickoff in regards to a little bit more of what we're going to go into? Either your your initial thoughts and takeaways on this type of a topic or like a higher level way to frame things before we get into, you know, like the nitty gritty of it. I think the where perhaps I can add value or explain to the listeners is really perhaps understanding a little more about the difference differences between PT providers within the space. So majority of large entities, outpatient therapy companies are private equity owned. There are a couple of publicly traded, there's one or two privately owned entities, but the majority of private equity. But it's understanding as a listener that private equity is not equal. And even, even if private equity is equal, the PT companies themselves are different. They have different cultures. They have different ways of approaching the business. And it's really perhaps providing some insight on what those differences are and then helping the private practice owner understand that to then be able to allow them to have better decisions in regards to perhaps who they want to align with or who they want to emulate or who they want to partner with. So I think that's really where I can perhaps help them provide further color. Great. So Alliance is PE-backed as well, and there's many others. So we'll get into, from your perspective or your purview, the, the differences. But at the end of the day, and a lot of practice owners, I don't think know a lot of the financial side of this. So I don't think that they, and maybe they do, if they do, great. But um, from the physical therapy colleagues and, and owners that I've spoken with, they're not too familiar with the forces or the the structure around private equity-backed corporates or companies, however we're going to name them. But all those funds have to have a return at some point. So I would love to kind of, as we kind of dig deeper into the episode now, kind of hear from your perspective, how you see there's that there's differences, because at the end of the day, those PE funds need to have some return in the next, you know, three, five, seven years, whatever it might be. So maybe let's go into those components of just initially, what, what do you see as to how you guys are are different, even though there's others that are PE backed and and also outside of physical therapy, like there's just other roll ups and and other uh, corporates that are PE backed, and sometimes they they get a bad rap because of the behavior of the PE firms pushing the financial component and less about the the customer or in this case the the patient. So what are what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, at a very high level, private equity is just a type of ownership. And I think it does get a bad rap. And the reason where it gets a bad rap is when they acquire entities or provide financial support for entities and then dismantle those businesses and sell off piecemeal uh, to and, and kind of maximize short-term profitability over long-term viability and um, care of employees. But that's that's a very small minority. And you certainly don't see that in physical therapy. Physical therapy is a growing industry. There's absolutely no reason why somebody would come along and dismantle it. 
So I think the reason why private equity is, has this bad rap is really for reasons that, that are outside of the PT world. And also this idea of, oh, well, PE is about earning money. Well, the reality is, is in healthcare, you have to make money. Okay, Hospitals have to make money to survive, to reinvest. So money shouldn't be a dirty word. And yes, you should operate a business so it is financially responsible, fiscally responsible and financially successful. Really, who owns it is, is somewhat academic or should be academic. Having said all that, though, private equity companies vary immensely. So, for instance, our prior equity sponsor had no other healthcare company apart from ourselves. And obviously, in that instance, their understanding, knowledge of the business was limited. And they spent a lot of time kind of educating. Whereas our current equity sponsor, BPOC, is pure play healthcare. They've been in it for 20 years extremely successful and knowledgeable, and they truly are a partner as it pertains to facilitating growth and development. And luckily for me, and this isn't true for all PE companies, luckily for me, our owners, our equity partner, knows that they're not operators. I think this is where sometimes it can get a little bit ambiguous or the gray area is when an equity sponsor thinks that they're an operator. That has happened, unfortunately, for an entity, that, a large PT company over the last few years, where you kind of got that, that intermingling of, of equity partner and the company itself. And that can be a danger. So from a private, from a private practice perspective, it's really trying to find a partner that still maintains its roots as it pertains to providing PT and looking after the patient. And rather than perhaps a partner that, that is sponsored by somebody that doesn't have that understanding of healthcare or specifically outpatient therapy. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And I know, uh, shout out to Steve Todrick, because when I had him on the show, he did mention your current you know, sponsor or backer, BPOC, that they are specifically focused on healthcare. So that certainly can lend a lot of support and and also kind of probably put the current partners and the current executives and the rest of the team at ease that there's not going to be anything. There's not going to be, you know, a lot of waves or tension. Like if you have someone, if you have a team behind you that is focused in that, that entire industry. And that's like, I think what he said, like, that's pretty much all they do is healthcare. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. You know, healthcare is an, is a odd duck, you know, it's, it's an animal in itself. And it's very difficult to explain the idiosyncrasies of, of the American healthcare system and, and operations and the financials and revenue cycle to non-healthcare people. And we'll touch upon this as well, but you know, it's clinician to clinician as well. That that is really important for being able to run a successful business, is is understanding the needs and expectations as pertains to the clinicians. Got it. Now, when you and your team are speaking to prospective practice owners, prospective partners that are looking to exit or they're looking to sell some or all their practice, without mentioning any names, like, do they ever ask you guys about the private equity side? Or is it like you and your executives, like you're a physical therapist and, and like it's more of how you get on with those practice owners? Do they ever ask about the corporate or the PE side of things in regards to? your structure, your backers, any, you know, forces or tension or strings attached to any of that? 
Sometimes. Uh, it really depends on the private practice and what their objective is. So, for instance, the private practice is looking for an immediate exit. They don't really care, and that's perhaps a little cynical, but they're not as concerned about who the equity sponsor of the acquiring entity is because they're planning an exit. Obviously, they still have a legacy to contend with but or to, to uh, be aware of, but really they're looking for what will give me the best financial return and most likelihood of success of the business going forward under the uh, ownership of a new entity. However, if looking for a private practice owner is looking to continue to be involved, then they obviously want to know a little bit more about the ownership structure and who's at the top. And I think any savvy private practice should know who is at the top because they do impact to a certain extent culture. They do have people that sit on the board of the entity and they do influence it. Now, um, obviously, very varying amounts of influence, but there is still some influence. So I think it's reasonable to ask that question and see uh, you know, who is the equity sponsor. But if it's a good equity sponsor, they should be leaving everything, the day-to-day decisions and even a lot of the strategic decisions to the PT company itself. So it shouldn't be a, a deal breaker. It really should be, do I connect? Do, do my values and culture align with the acquiring or the partner that I intend to, to be with going forward? Right. So speaking about culture and, and fit and morale and all that, if same thing for us, so we're, you know, in the early stages, but when we're speaking with practice owners, we're trying to assess the same type of thing. Like does our, our ideals and our goals and initiatives and and our type of, you know, character and, and, and culture, can we see ourselves working and collaborating with this type of a practice, this type of an owner, and maybe the owner wants to get out. And so then it's like, with the team, or if the owner's staying, then it's, you know, making sure that that's a, a direct right fit. But really, it's in, what I found, and I would love to hear what you think, but it's both sides looking and analyzing. The caveat is how soon is that owner looking to get out and depending on their structure and if they're treating patients or not, which we can talk about, but both sides are really evaluating and interviewing each other, right? So what do you see in regards to owners asking you guys about, and maybe maybe it's direct questions, maybe it's indirect questions about culture and morale and and character and fit. And then at the same time, how do you kind of assess that from Alliance's side with these potential partners? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I compare it to dating in a way. Uh, right, right. It takes time to get to know the other entity. Essentially, the finances are the finances, right? If the acquiring entity or the new partnering entity are transparent, open, honest, then the valuation they provide should be within a very narrow range of what other people should be providing. So they shouldn't be trying to lowball you. And also, if the price is well above what other people are, are looking at your business for, usually it's not a sustainable valuation. They'll probably retrade you down. Yeah? So it's putting to, si- to one side the financial piece, because in reality, whilst that's very important and probably sometimes the most important thing, the conversations we have are probably 90% related to cultural fit, values, mission, vision. Uh, particularly if the the mum and pop shovel, the, the the private practice wants to continue along with the journey, it becomes imperative. 
And it's asking a lot of detailed questions, you know, about the business and not only talking to the likes of me, but I always recommend that private practice owners look at patient Google reviews, look at employee reviews, search the website. And when I say search the website, it's really understanding how they present their materials, what type of words do they use to describe themselves, and really doing a deep dive. And, and if PT is a small world, network with people, ask of people who worked with in the past or, or know of the entity. So I think that's, that's really important. And over time, because you shouldn't be rushed, if somebody's rushing you through this process, then you've got to question yourself, well, why are they rushing you through it? Just like dating, you take your time. Everyone obviously puts on a great face. They don't want to show their, their kind of faults, and certainly in the beginning anyway. You've got to take the time, multiple conversations, and then get comfortable because you know it's a marriage, essentially, and neither party really wants to get divorced. Where the problems occur is when either the private practice or the acquiring entity get that mismatching culture and values, and it's ugly. It's bad. You know, I think the statistic is, is once you've been acquired or partnered, the average duration of staying with that entity is about two years. The reason for that is because I believe is because there isn't that match in values. And if one buys a business uh, that doesn't really match up to both expectations and haven't discussed those expectations in the early stages, that's where the problems occur. So personally, I'm very open and honest. I say, this is who we are. This is what we can offer you. This is our expectations. Um, do you have any non-negotiables? And is it a fit? And if it's not a fit, that's fine. I'll help you find somebody that where it will be a fit. Yeah, that makes sense. So if there's a mismatch, then it's either... And and a partnership is completed, and then there's issues during post-deal integration, then it's either there there was some... The deal was completed without enough of the communication or vetting, or maybe the deal was rushed, or maybe the company was working on multiple deals at once and they were just trying to, you know, push it over the goal line. But they, maybe the buyers in that case didn't fully evaluate or assess it, or they chose to overlook red flags. I mean, there's like a whole host of things that could, that could have occurred. So, um, for practice owners watching or listening, like how much are you involved in that practice, uh, that, Part of it of speaking with practice owners. I think Steve Tolger mentioned that you and him, I think he said, interface with a lot of practice owners up front, but maybe they have to go through a couple hurdles or, or one of your other team members, I think Steve might have said as well. And I think she's on the podcast sometimes. So how much are you in, involved or maybe do you step in after X amount of uh, communication has already occurred or maybe you step in around the non-binding letter of intent or something like that? Yeah, good I'm a little bit different, I think, I believe. I'm heavily involved. In part, that's because of the size of our organization. We are large enough to have a, a degree of sophistication, but we're not so large that new partners get lost in the shuffle or aren't important. That's in part. But regardless of our size of the organization, I think it's really important as a clinician and as the leader who sets the tone of that organization to be able to communicate with potential new partners and explain what I'm trying to create, the type of organization we are, the type of culture that we can provide. Um, because 
know, I can hide behind different people. I can, you know, I can tell really, or people I employ can tell the practice owner whatever they want. But it's a it's significantly different when the CEO of a relatively large organization speaks one on one with you know a single practice owner and explains our value proposition and what we can offer and what we can't. So I think it offers a level of transparency and clarity that perhaps you might not get talking to other entities. Excellent. And with these practice owners that you're speaking with earlier on, you and, and Steve, so if they say, you know, okay, so uh, so Richard, how how are you guys, how is Alliance different than some of these other medium to larger national buyers and and without mentioning any names, like how do you then, I mean, you can only speak so much. You're not going to necessarily try to speak bad about any other buyer, but you're going to just communicate your type of your culture and your fit. Like, but how much of that is your, how much of that can you directly communicate to these potential partners? Yeah. Whereas some of that is like your actions and like how you're interfacing with them and, and all that. So how do you answer that question? Maybe even if it's early on before, you know, you've done that hypothetical dating where you're kind of like building a rapport and building the relationship. Yeah, great. I talk about the first call and I'll tell you how I talk about it. But before I kind of explain how I describe our value proposition or how we developed our culture, what I will say first of all is there aren't good and bad PT companies per se, or acquiring entities. There's just different ones, okay? And, you know, Alliance isn't the appropriate acquiring entity or partner for certain practices. I understand that. I know that. Um, What we can offer isn't necessarily what private practice always wants, and that's fine, all right? I'll help private practice get to where they want. So the analogy I use when I'm talking about this and the differences between different PT companies is actually talking about driving in a car. So there are certain PT companies that will buy your car, and the analogy is is your business is the car. Okay. So Alliance will come along or an entity will come along and buy your car, either 100% or a majority component of it. And they may throw the legacy owner at the back door, or they may get the legacy owner to sit in the back seat. Okay? And the legacy owner might be fine with sitting in the back seat or being being removed from the car. That might be what they want. That's not alliance. So that is quite often the case where you're basically put in the back seat, you're told to shut up, you're told to kind of conform to a certain uh, structure and process, and off you go. And to be honest, if I'm driving a car for a long period of time, I might be fine with being in the back seat. Then there are other PT companies that will allow you to sit in the front passenger seat. So they'll give you a degree of autonomy or perceived autonomy. If you try and change the radio station or try and change the heating, they'll slap your wrist. Okay, So there's that kind of perceived partnership. Perhaps you can help advise in what direction you should go or take a different route. But but you're really, you're still in the passenger seat, but, but instead of sat in the back, you're sat in the front. What Alliance is trying to do, and also a couple of other entities in the US, I think, is we're going to allow the legacy owner, if they so wish, to remain in the driving seat. Okay, Nobody's going to give you a big fat check without certain constraints. And that's the reality. And that's what I tell people. You know, if you want to maintain 
complete status quo and still get a check is not going to happen. So there has to be checks and balances. So what we try and do and explain is we allow the legacy owners to, to remain in the driving seat if they so wish. We put dual controls in. Okay, So Alliance sits in the front passenger seat. So if the legacy owner decides to drive the car off the road, Alliance can apply the brake to stop it from happening. This is like the driving school cars where the, the instructor Absolutely. has, has, the, has the, the gas Absolutely. and pedal on their side as well. Got it. Yeah. So hopefully we never need to touch the controls. We'll support you. We'll maintain the culture, the brand, your team. We'll give you the additional resource, be that knowledge or be that financial, to allow us to continue together to a, a destination that we both agree on up front. And where, where the problems occur is when you get that, that mismatch between what the legacy or the, the private practice wants and where they're positioned in the car or where they believe the journey should go and the end point. Got it. And so if an owner were to say to you, you know, Richard, Steve, you know, I want to work with Alliance. I want to partner with you guys. I want top value. So I want max dollar. I want your best offer. And I will also be open or amenable to your ideas and your other resources. Like I know you guys do orthotics and all this other stuff. So they'll be open to your other ideas or resources or strategies for growth, because that might be the best way for that owner to get the biggest check. Right. So then, but then they have to kind of be open to the changes, which is challenging because humans don't always like change. I mean, physical therapists don't necessarily like change, but you know, humans in general don't. So is that one way that a practice owner could be open to the largest component in regards to their, their overall asking price and overall situation with their partnership with you guys? Yeah, it's kind of two things. Price is valuation can be impacted on on the exit strategy or wanted perceived uh, exit strategy that the legacy owner wants to do. We talk about that a little bit first. But yes, what we want is somebody to usually, and, and this is common nowadays a lot of private practice owners aren't ready to retire they what they they want us perhaps a, a destination means they see a destination but they certainly don't want to get off immediately and yes it's really how together can we can we partner now you're right there is always change right if anyone comes along and says to you well we're not going to change a single thing well that's a complete lie okay an absolute lie and i make that very clear in the beginning and I go through, here are the non-negotiables. Okay, the non-negotiables are, we'll get you on a common EMR platform. Can't operate a business without a common EMR platform. We're going to do provide the backroom activities and services, and these are such. Okay, so Those are non-negotiables. And then and likewise, I say to the private practice, what are your non-negotiables? That's a starting point. Because if we can't even agree on the non-negotiables, then we really don't continue the conversation. If somebody's trying to optimize the value of the business, there's there's really it doesn't really matter per se with regards to which position in the car they have. If the valuation of the business isn't dependent so much on that, the valuation of the business is ultimately dependent upon EBITDA, margin, and also perceived long-term viability and growth. 
So it doesn't really matter if the owner is looking to stay or not. If they're not looking to stay, then obviously the likes of Alliance and any other acquiring entity or a new partner wants reassurance and practical steps in place to be able to make sure that, that it maintains profitability and, and ideally increasing profitability over time. That's really where you get your biggest bang for your buck or price. So then how do you guys evaluate the long-term viability of, of practice growth? I mean, some of it is financial. Some of it is maybe how long they've been in the community. I mean, what, what are some of the other data points like staff retention, scale, like number of locations or their you know, online or offline reputation? Like, how do you quantify or evaluate that? Good question. I think it is multifactorial. Uh, it is historical trend. If you have history and without that history, then that can make valuation more difficult. But really for smaller entities, the value is not based off future growth. You have to be a very large entity to get credit for future growth, right? But certainly, we want to see a trend that shows growth up till this point, or at least stability up to this point from a KPI perspective. Also, maintaining margin is important. If you've got a business that profitability and the margin is going down, then that's a warning sign. So, we really want to see maintaining margin. So, those are the first things. And then it's really, yes. How stable is the staff? So, for instance, if there is one clinician, the risk of purchasing that business or partnering obviously goes up substantially than if there are a number of clinicians. And if there are a number of clinicians with non-competes in place, then obviously that gives reassurance to the acquiring entity or the new partner that more than likely there's going to be sustained employment with those individuals. And then there's perhaps a little less important, but still important is is mix of staffing, longevity of staffing, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And then referral sources that alike. Got it. Well, and you mentioned, you know, EBITDA or adjusted EBITDA and margin. So what if a practice owner, if you're interfacing with them earlier on and they say, well, you know, we got hit bad by COVID. We had a, a community that for whatever, for multiple reasons, but also because of just the early fear, doubt, and uncertainty with COVID, that they didn't want to come back into the office. Maybe they had a difficult time with trying to do telehealth earlier on in virtual care. But anyway, their their financials of the last three years, you know, had a dip in in margin and or adjusted EBITDA compared to if COVID never happened. So, but they say to you, well, Richard, you know, COVID happened. It wasn't anything that we did. We would have grown another 10 or 15%, but, you know, COVID happened. So then what? I mean, it's it's not an easy thing to respond to or answer because it's it's nothing that they did. But in financial reality, their margin did change or their adjusted EBITDA did take a dip. Yeah, the, that's a good question. In the beginning, I think there was some consideration given for COVID. Yeah. At this point... The impact of COVID now or the last 12 months is something that we just have to deal with as a business risk. And it's really, we don't give an allowance for COVID now because there's been sufficient time where has passed, where the you know, the first wave and two waves have passed. Those financials are really dropped off. We're looking really at the trading 12 months, possibly 18 months. But the financial we're looking the valuation is based on a more 
up-to-date financial picture. Obviously, we'll take into account, we'll acknowledge that the business is impacted from a business perspective referrals, but financial value is based on more recent financials rather than looking back at the financials back in 2020, for instance. Got it. Any additional suggestions or tips or or ideas for practice owners listening and watching in regards to how they could have their best foot forward in regards to asking you guys or asking other potential buyers the right questions or the best way that owners can be in a, a good frame of mind in regards to assessing or evaluating different buyers out there? If you have a successful clinic, there are going to be multiple entities approaching it. That's the reality. There is a lot of money out there, and there are a lot of people that want to acquire or partner with you. So if that is the case, then it's taking the time to truly ask those difficult questions, putting the acquiring of new partnering entity on the spot, ask them very specific questions, and likewise, is really being honest, open, and transparent, both sides. And you can tell a lot by how they respond as well as what they tell you. So I think, I think the, the words of wisdom or the advice is just take your time, look at the potential new partner or acquiring entity in detail. If they're rushing you, then slow it down, okay? For instance, we will talk to people over one, two, three years. And that's okay. And in fact, if an entity is struggling somewhat, we will actually coach them on what they need to do to get their value up. Okay. We won't try in and buy an entity when it's distressed. From my perspective, I want every private practice to be as successful as possible. Yes, I may have to pay a little more for it, but that's great. If I pay more for an entity, it means that it likely is going to be more successful going forward when I do part. So it's doing your diligence, taking the time to build that relationship over time, multiple calls, meetings, and then ask those tough questions. But also be prepared to really look at yourself and understand exactly what you want post-close and being honest about that. Got it. Makes a lot of sense. Let's circle back for a second in regards to you or other buyers kind of evaluating and, and checking on culture fit and morale and and overall the team. So let's say if there was a practice owner that was ready to get out, maybe you have some requirement to stay on for three months, six months, nine months, something like that to kind of steady the, the transition and, and the integration. But the practice owner wants to get out. You mentioned, you know, reviews. So there's Google reviews, there's Yelp reviews, there's Glassdoor reviews for the employee side of things. But how do you guys, how do you really, like, can you go further than that in regards to meeting the team? Then obviously that has to be through the owner's approval. And maybe that's at the time where, you know, a purchase agreement is signed, but then you guys are still going to go through due diligence. I mean, we're kind of in that phase right now with with a deal. So we're waiting for that purchase agreement to be signed. And then we're going to go in and meet the the staff, physical therapist and, and the team. So do you guys do some of those things? Maybe, you know, do you fly to the different states around that time, even before the, the deal is formally closed to kind of meet some of the team? I know some owners don't want to tell their team about this potential partnership until the the actual date of closing. So what are, what are some things that maybe are flexible for you guys to deal with 
or maybe they're non-negotiables, but how do you, how do you and Steve and the rest of the team figure out the, the morale and culture if the owner is going to be stepping out and you guys really need to know, like, who's the clinic director here? Who's going to be responsible for the day-to-day? What's the culture? What's the morale of this team? And does it fit with Alliance? Yes, it's tough. So flip it for a minute. So first off, what I would say is, is if you're a private practice looking to partner with a new, new entity, then often what we'll do is we will initiate our, our introduction to one of our existing partners within our business to chat with an entity that wants perhaps to become a new partner. So you know, I'll step to one side and allow them to talk to people within our organization. And we have a very transparent organization. So I would hope and I think that they would give an honest, open opinion of in our instance, Alliance Physical Therapy Fund. Now, the reverse is very difficult. As an acquiring entity, it's difficult to be able to go into the private practice and truly understand what the culture is unless you talk to people. But talking to people oftentimes, in fact, usually is not an option, certainly not in an open manner. Yes, we may be a secret shopper. Yes, we may be a kind of a patient and go in that way. Yes, we may walk in and inquire about therapy, for instance. But the issue of being allowed to go in to an entity that's looking at a sale process can be very disruptive. So the last thing I want to do is I don't want to disrupt a business. And also, deals don't always go through. So what I would hate to do is go in talk to staff, either raise their expectations or oftentimes fears and concerns, and then for it not to occur. That's not fair. That's not cool. So normally, we don't get to actually a a chance to go into the business until the the deal has closed or very close to close. And that can be problematic. But that's really, on my my behalf, is really having multiple conversations and meetings with the owner and the leader, perhaps, uh, to have a level of trust and understanding the business where I have a pretty good indication or understanding of, of who is there and who I need to talk to, who are the key stakeholders that need to remain. And then I will very quickly, when able to and appropriate, speak to those individuals. So, so could the that would include sometimes the clinic director or some you know chief operating officer or some someone that's going to be there longer with you guys, uh, even if the owner is then going to be stepping out in the next you know six to twelve months. So it it could be the clinic director who might be and and typically would be a staff physical therapist or or some you know maybe an equity partner maybe not maybe just a staff PT that's the director and paid very well and and maybe is not an equity partner but they could be with the practice owner on these calls and zoom calls with you guys absolutely yes they're critical it's whoever is really creating significant value of that business so as a private practice owner if you're looking for an exit strategy you really have to create your, or build your practice in a way where there is less risk for an acquiring entity when it purchases it, the likelihood of going south. So if there are key personnel, we will want non, non-compete agreements. There are key personnel we want to for them to know and understand and, and really up to the sale point, 
have had a trajectory of growth and development and know that that, that trajectory will continue. And also it's really private practice owners setting the scene for a potential change of ownership. So there's lots of things that can be done behind the scenes that will help with that transition and make it smooth. You know, a lot of the times, to be brutally honest, it's the private practice owner themselves exit, but they haven't actually structured the business or the culture to then set it for success for when it folds in under another entity. And the private practice owner is critical in being able to successfully integrate not only processes, but the team as well. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. I think this would be a perfect place to pause. Um, We certainly covered a lot about partnerships, culture fit, differences between different buyers out there and the different thought processes that your team, my team, other buyers are going through in, in regards to how we're evaluating and assessing these practices. And they are partnerships. Initially, I used to think of them just like, I was like, why, why does everyone say partnership? Like it's an acquisition. But I, you know, if, if someone's only selling 70% of their practice and they're staying on board for the next four or five years, for example, uh, or shorter, but a long period of time, I mean, it absolutely is a partnership. And even if they were going to be leaving in one year, it's still a partnership because you all have to kind of get along and, and continue to best serve the, the patients in the community. So great to have you on, Richard. What would be a great place, whether it's LinkedIn, email address, uh, website, any place for the audience to reach out to you, practice owners that are watching and listening, if they want to reach out to you, um, they can certainly check out Agile and Me, the podcast on uh, iTunes and probably everywhere uh, podcasts are available. What would be a good place for practice owners to reach out to you or Alliance to learn more? First off, thank you, Dave, for the conversation today. It's been a pleasure. I really appreciated the opportunity. And I think hopefully uh, what I've talked about is of value to your the listeners. Regards to contacting probably the best... Uh, route is uh, going to the Alliance website, alliancepp.com, or my email address is richard.lever, L-E-A-V-E-R, at uh, alliancepp.com. Excellent. So, folks, if you found this helpful and valuable, rate, review, and subscribe, send it to a colleague, send it to a practice owner or a friend that is a practice owner or a clinic director or someone that's entrepreneurial-minded like you, if you find this insightful or helpful and, and valuable in any way. Share it to one friend, one colleague, and uh, that's all we ask for. Uh, We'll catch you next time on the Dave Kittle Show. Thank you. Thank you, Richard. Hey, it's Dave Kittle. Are you a healthcare business owner or physical therapy practice owner who is looking to figure out your succession plan or exit strategy? We might be able to help. And in fact, we may be interested in acquiring your practice. If you're interested, you can reach out to me. Shoot me an email at dave at conciergepainrelief.com. That's D-A-V-E at C-O-N-C-I-E-R-G-E, painrelief.com. Or you can call me at any time, 646-781-8884.